Hello and welcome to A Couple of Goons. I am Walt Hickey. Joining me today is the one and the only Neil Payne. Neil, how's it going? Hey, Walt. How are you? I'm going pretty good. I'm going pretty good. In fact, I'm doing really good right now because I don't know if you're watching the NBC Sports Network, but on the NBC Sports Network, previously versus obviously, previously the Outdoor Network, but now NBC Sports Network, and for now, the home of hockey in America. I don't know if you're noticing it right now, but there's a team called the New York Rangers, and they're defeating a team called the uh, the Philadelphia something or another's. And I checked the records. I went back on previously edition on the podcast, and I found out that you're a fan of the Philadelphia Flyers, and I'm a fan of the New York Rangers, and my team's winning. And so this week, we're talking rivalries. <laughs> yes, the, that makes us uh, mortal enemies for tonight. Uh and then, uh, yeah, we'll move on uh, because the way things are going for both these teams right now, uh, probably both of them will miss the playoffs. Well, I shouldn't say probably. Flyers have a better chance, uh, at least, but they're under 50% in our um, our ELO ratings. I think if you add up the two teams' probabilities of making the playoffs, it combined is 50%. Not, well, that's not quite 50 bad. for either of them. Not the average between the two. Combined, it's it's 50%. So it makes a lot of sense to me that the good people at the NBC Sports Network Corporation are broadcasting this to all of America right now. Yeah, this is the matchup America deserves. Maybe not the one it it needs, but the one it deserves. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, So as usual, do you want to kick off a team of the week? Who have you watched in the past week? Who who has been lighting up the charts on on you know the GitHub? Always plug in the GitHub. Neil Neil Payne five thirty eight GitHub dot com. Go for it. Yeah, the the team that has gained the most in uh, ELO rating uh, is the Washington Capitals, although I believe that we talked about them as one of our previous teams of the week. They've been like the team of two weeks, I guess, uh, multiple weeks. So I'm going to skip down the ranking and list the Minnesota Wild as my team of the week. Uh, They have added... Slightly fewer points of ELO over the last week, but they've added the same number of points of ELO over the past two weeks as the Washington Capitals. Uh, And they've just won a bunch of games in a row, and they seem really good. They went from not, uh, you know, being a a playoff lock by any stretch of the imagination to now having a 96% chance of making the playoffs in the competitive West division, like we talked about last week. You know, that is a division that has. Uh, a recent Stanley Cup winner in the St. Louis Blues, uh, a recent Stanley Cup finalist in the Golden Knights, a Stanley Cup preseason favorite in the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, and uh, in in spite of all that, uh, the Wild have just kind of come in there and they're uh, doing really well. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov, we mentioned him as a Rookie of the Year front runner. Uh, he's yeah. playing well, and the rest of that team is playing well. And so, yeah, Minnesota Wild, team of the week. And uh, excited to see good things happen for hockey in Minnesota uh, because I believe uh, when Jake was on the show a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Minnesota is sort of like the U.S. hotbed of hockey that sort of produces yeah. the most or it's one of the few handful of states that produce the most um, NHL players from America. And yet – you know, they, uh, the Wild have, have not won the Stanley Cup. Uh, previous to them, the North Stars left Minnesota and went to Dallas and became the Stars, and they won the Cup in Dallas. That doesn't count toward Minnesota. It doesn't make people, the fine folks from Minnesota, very happy. Uh, so it, it's nice <laughs> to see a team based in 
uh, arguably the finest hotbed of hockey in the whole U.S., actually winning and might you know do some damage and and uh, potentially bring the cup uh, home. That's that's different from Minnesota pro hockey. Obviously, their their college teams tend to be really good. Yeah, it's always fun when like the place that originates actually all of the interest in a sport sometimes lapses in actually claiming victory in that sport. Like whenever Texas has a really big drought in football or like uh but yeah. yeah Minnesota, so, I mean that's a great example. Minnesota is to hockey what Texas is to football, I think. Wow. Yeah. That's a really good analogy. You've painted a word picture that I'm very very interested in the Minnesota scene now. See, that should be, um, that's an SAT um, analogy for you. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is the Texas of hockey. <laughs> yeah. If we, if we want to make sure that California absolutely makes the SAT not necessary to college, we will start asking questions like that. <laughs> like, um, but yeah. So fun week in hockey. Uh, before we get into an action packed, episode about rivalries i would like to ask you you know this is episode zero 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 nine um obviously we are slate we are rapidly encroaching on our our 10,000th episode bit by bit but um it's episode zero 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 nine what do you think is the player whose number is nine that you would like to highlight this week yeah well there's a lot of good options at nine in hockey you have gordy howe uh, of the Detroit Red Wings, who uh, is sort of the, I don't know, Wayne Gretzky still calls him the greatest hockey player of all time. Uh, for instance, he's the reason why Wayne Gretzky wore 99, because he wanted to wear nine, and I think nine was taken. So he's like, let me just put two of those next to each other. Uh, so he is kind of the best player ever to be number nine. Uh, I could have also picked Bobby Hull, uh, who was a great goal scorer for the Chicago Blackhawks and uh, the Winnipeg Jets of the WHA, father of Brett Hull. Uh, but I'm going to go with a teammate of Brett Hull, from the 1990s, and probably my favorite player growing up uh, when I was a kid, Mike Medano uh, of the Dallas Stars. We just talked about the Dallas, uh, the Minnesota North Stars become the Dallas Stars. Well, Mike Medano started his career. He was a, one, a very high overall draft pick. He might have been number one. Uh, I'm looking this up. He was first overall in the 1988 uh, draft uh, by the Minnesota uh, North Stars. And uh, he was a great player for them as they sort of transitioned from being the Minnesota North Stars, then to the Minnesota Stars for like a year, and then the Dallas Stars. Uh, Fun fact, he has a, I think, two lines in the original Mighty Ducks, uh, and they're very poorly acted. Because Coach Bombay took, uh, takes the kids to a Minnesota Stars game uh, in that movie. And so <laughs> then he like meets two of the players. I forget who the other one was, but Medano was one of the two. And he says, uh, I think he has like one or two speaking lines. And again, they're delivered with not that much acting talent. Was the uh, Mighty Ducks the Space Jam of hockey? Uh, yeah, I think that's right in terms of just hockey it, movies yeah? that like made a cultural impact in the early to mid 1990s. Uh, oh, I was mostly uh, just referring generation. to the movie that most effectively got athletes and IMDb page. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, there were like some cameos, uh, I, but I don't think hockey has had like a movie on the same level of like a space jam or even, uh, 90s basketball had a crazy number of movies that had like athlete cameos from Eddie, 
which starred Whoopi Goldberg as uh, like owner of the Knicks or something like that, uh, a fan turned owner or something, uh, or GM. Uh, there was also uh, Celtic Pride, uh, starring Damon Wayans and Dan Aykroyd and uh, I think Daniel Stern, where they kidnapped the Utah Jazz's best player, played by uh, Damon Wayans. That one had a ton of NBA cameos. I don't know that there were that many hockey movies that had that many cameos. So it's sort of special that Mike Medano was one of the players that got that cameo, even if he did not exactly showcase his acting skills. But he's also, uh, I buried the lead a little bit with him. He is widely regarded <laughs> as the greatest American hockey player ever. He was born in Livonia, Michigan, uh, and led Team USA to the victory at the 1996 World Cup of Hockey, which was really the big coming out party for the U.S. Like, yes, 1980, Miracle on Ice, we get it. But in terms of pro teams you know uh u.s teams that are stocked with pro players they didn't let pro players play in the olympics until i believe 1998 and so the 96 world cup was a little bit of a prelude to that where they had all these teams it was the summer it was the off season and they just got all of these national teams that were stocked with nhl players together and were just like let's have like an international hockey tournament and the u.s upset canada in that tournament to win uh, I think they came, They lost the first game. It was like a three-game series or something. And they came back and won each of the next two at the Forum in Montreal, which is sort of the mecca of hockey in Canadian territory, uh, quite literally. Uh, and Medano <laughs> was one of, the, one of the great players on that team. Uh, and, and so that really set the tone. He uh, was the alternate captain, one of the leaders of the Dallas Stars when they won the Cup in 1999, which was, I think, one of, if not the first Stanley Cups ever won by one of those Sunbelt Batman relocation or expansion teams that we talked about from the 90s. So depending on how you feel about that, maybe it's a bad thing uh, about Medano's career. But I think it's kind of cool that he was like, you know, pivotal in kind of growing the game in a place that, uh, or like a region of the country that people didn't think of uh, that way. And he, of course, played for the Stars uh, for almost his whole career. I think he played his last season with the Detroit Red Wings, which was his hometown team w- when when he was growing up. Uh, but uh, just an all-time great player uh, and, and one of the all-time leaders in goals. Uh, he has uh, 557 career goals, uh, over 1,300 uh, career points, uh, known as a great, really the f- fastest skater, one of the fastest skaters in the game. His thing was that his jersey was sort of loose in the back, and so he would get up ahead of steam skating down the ice, and would that jersey would kind of flap behind him. It was kind of a cool signature look uh, for him. <laughs> but he also had one of the hardest shots. He I, uh, entered the hardest shot competition, which uh, they uh, – when they have an all-star game again, we can talk about this. They, they have these cool skills competitions. Uh, and one of them is how literally they measure how many miles per hour can you slap shot a puck into the net at. Uh, and I don't think Medano ever won that, but he was like invited to it and had one of the hardest shots in the league, which is uncommon for a guy that also is really fast and had a lot of like, you know, sort of hand-eye coordination and skill. Uh, he scored a game-winning goal in, I want to say triple overtime of game 
five of the 2000 Stanley Cup final. Uh, basically, everyone was exhausted. There was a puck that was shot on net against uh, Martin Brodeur, one of the greatest goalies of all time. And Medano was able to kind of get a stick on it and deflect it between his legs past uh, Brodeur for a goal that ended that game, uh, one of the longest Stanley Cup final games ever. So uh, just a, uh, and by all accounts, great guy. You know, really gives back uh, to the community, uh, beloved, you know, player. So, Mike Medano, you are our number nine for episode number nine of a couple of goons. Even though he wasn't a goon, uh, he had <laughs> goons on his team that that tended yeah. to protect him. Uh, and I believe in in some notable series, he would get like, you know, pushed around a little bit. I mean, he wasn't a small guy uh, by any stretch of the imagination. He was six uh, three, but he just felt like he was always getting like checked from behind in the boards and like you know suffering major like broken arms or <laughs> things like that. So we needed to have guys that were goons to protect him uh, over the years uh, from from even more grievous bodily harm, I guess. But. <laughs> Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention with Mike Medano, one of those injuries. So there's, it's unintentionally comedic. I think it's been enough time that we, it's, it's okay (laughs) to laugh about it. But so basically, uh, in some series, I forget what, who it was even against or whatever, but he did get checked into the boards really hard and like his neck kind of like got messed up. So they put him on a stretcher and they took him off the ice. And then there's this, there's this clip. People should look this up on YouTube. They cut to the clip of them showing Medano get like put in the back of an ambulance and he's like on a stretcher strapped down and the EMTs drop him off, oh, of, no. the, off of the like, uh, you know, cart or whatever. And he like falls to the ground and the commentators are like stunned. And I think they're trying not to laugh also. And they're sort of like, it's almost like a, ooh, that's that's a shame. You, you hate to see All that. Right. I can't no, believe we're seeing this. This is the internet. I'm doing. I'm watching it now. <laughs> Mike Madano, Stretcher Drop HD. Yeah. They're loading him <laughs> in. Yeah, it's an HD. I don't even know what year it was from. They had HD back then. <laughs> but, oh, no. They come back to the game very quickly. I know. They come back to the game and they're like, oh, gosh, we really hope he's okay <laughs> this there. This guy doesn't look like a paramedic. Oh, no. oh, you hate to see that. It doesn't seem like they did a good job loading him into that ambulance. Eh? Uh, I guess we'll we'll see what happens with him. But oh my uh, God. <laughs> wishes to Mike Medano there. Uh, and it really reminds me of when like Homer Simpson is being like lifted out of the out of the Springfield <laughs> Gorge in the ambulance, yeah. and then he like bangs his head on the wall of the gorge, and then the ambulance hits the tree, and then he falls out the back again. Anyway, it's been enough time. Mike Medano is fine. He did not suffer any kind of long term injury from from that incident, but it's pretty funny in retrospect. That's rough. That's really it. it like it sounded like a wrestling call. Like, yes. oh my God, Vince McMahon's blown up in the ambulance. Like, no, like it I know. sounded. People have said it looked like something straight out of the WWF <laughs> Attitude Era. <laughs> like, totally staged, except this wasn't staged. So, you know, RIP that's, Mike that's great. No, He's fine. He's totally fine. He's fine. He single-handedly dragged, dragged the sport down past several latitudes and uh, and is, you know, our number nine of the goons count of players yes um by the way at what point will this how high do hockey numbers go at what point does this no longer become a feasible bit <laughs> with wayne gretzky in uh, really? episode 99 and in fact no player is allowed to wear number 99 anymore they've uh they've retired it across the entire league 
So, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's retired from like us talking about it. Yes. So the maximum number of, of number on your back in the hockey world can be 98. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. Now, Brett right, Gretzky, cool. on the other hand, wore number 49. And I think and actually encouraged that. 49, we should. He, he may be the only player in history to wear number 49. It's the opposite of his brother where everyone wants to wear it, but you're not allowed to. It's sort of like, hey, you want number 49? Brent Gretzky wore that. They're like, no, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> like, yeah, no, we got the clearance rack back there. Just a big pile of 49s. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Um, you do know Gretzky right, yeah. is spelled with a Z, right? These all say S. I don't know. <laughs> uh, clearance. Um, this week... I I had I had like a very simple kind of question, which was just like every time that we talk a little bit about hockey, you get at like, oh yeah, those teams don't like each other, or like I was just like, oh, I was thinking, of, you know, I've been to Montreal. It's a great town. It's you know, you know, super good vibes, really good food. I think I might like the the the, the Montreal Canadiens. You're just like, yeah, but you're a fan of the original six team. You can't like them. And so I want to navigate. Like I realize that I am coming into this sport like 100 years too late and I need to understand what happened in those preceding years to stir the pot. And so this week I want to talk about hockey beefs. I want to talk about, you know, all the messy drama going on underneath the scenes. I thought that we were going to go, you know, team by team or league by league. It turns out that I have texted that to you about like three hours ago. And in the interim, you have developed a Google document with the classification of each different varietal of beef from the from the mighty Wagyu to all the way the loin. And so I guess um, where do, where do beef start in the NHL? <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to oversell uh, this Google Doc, uh, but uh, just basically there's like a few different ways that a rivalry can start. And one of them, you touched on it, is being an original six team and like having another original six team exist, essentially, uh, because you had a league where there were literally only six teams playing from, I believe, 1943 to 1967 or 68. Uh, so like, that's a long time to be playing. And by the way, playing each other 60 to 70 games per regular season, that's how long the, the seasons were, uh, during that span, uh, and plus two playoff rounds afterward, like in that situation, pretty much everyone in the league is going to be not just like casual rivals with each other. They're going to have like complex deep-seated hatreds of each other for like good and like legitimate reasons not so legitimate reasons just like i don't like you because we've played each other a lot and i just hate seeing your stupid face you know there's like a bunch of different ways that that can happen but the a lot of the deepest rivalries in the nhl are these uh original six ones like the oldest rivalry in hockey Mm-hmm. is the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs. That one stretches back to 1918. They have played the most regular season games of any combination of teams in hockey history. They played seven, 751 times. That edges out Montreal versus Boston, which I'll talk about in a second, by one game. The, <laughs> the, the Bruins and Canadians have played 750 times. The, Bru- uh, the, the Maple Leafs and Canadians have played 751 uh, the Canadians lead that series all time, uh, which is going to be a theme, I think, uh, among that. Uh, also, it goes to some of the cultural implications that we're talking about where you have Montreal 
the largest francophone city in Canada against Toronto, the largest anglophone city in Canada. There's I looked up you you referenced on. a poem like a week or two ago. The hockey and, sweater. Okay, well, you know me. I like I like cultural stuff, and so I checked it out and I like researched it. That is like it's on their friggin' money. Like that that's yeah. a big deal. Like it's it's and like it's just and like I was just reading it was like oh it's a story about a kid who gets the wrong sweater and then like it was just like no it's actually an extended metaphor for francophone anglophone relations. And it's like, oh okay <laughs> like but and it um, doesn't, uh, if I remember right, it doesn't even have like a warm fuzzy ending of any sort. The oh, it kid- does not know. The kid just like has to live with the fact that he has the wrong jersey uh, deep in, in yeah. uh, you know, cultural enemy territory. Uh, he, he shows up at the pond wearing the wrong jersey and is ridiculed for it and, and curses the jersey and then just sort of like is stuck with that. Like it's yes, not. He goes to their, it, it ends with him like going to church and praying for their deaths, and that's how it goes. Welcome to Canada, baby. No, <laughs> like, welcome to Canada. You know, uh, known as a very polite country, but uh, under the surface, simmering, there's a lot of there's a lot of beef, uh, and and so the longest running playoff rivalry, which I think is even a stronger rivalry than Montreal versus Toronto, is Montreal versus mm-hmm. Boston, which have the most head-to-head playoff games of any two teams ever. They've play, played 177 times in the playoffs. This one dates back to 1929. They've faced Ooh. in a record nine Game 7s over time. Whoa. Game 7s, of course, are the crucible of playoff hockey uh, the 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 most bitter you know kind of rivalry creating moments uh, of all the the Habs have won six of those game sevens and and they lead the all time series one hundred six to seventy one out of those one seventy seven games. Uh, but fun fact, uh, in nineteen fifty five, there was an incident between the Canadians and Bruins that literally led to a riot in Montreal. Uh, <laughs> Now, it was a few weeks later. uh, So in a game against the Bruins, uh, Maurice Richard, who I think has a, we talked about the trophy that was named after him. uh, He uh, had a a testy temper and got into uh, like a a fight uh, that that turned really nasty with a guy on um, Boston and got suspended for a number of games by the commissioner of the NHL. And the commissioner of the NHL made the mistake of like attending a Canadians game at the forum after this and it was against the red wings who like didn't necessarily have anything in that beef they had their own beef <laughs> with both of those two teams but they weren't like directly involved with this but during this red wings game somebody uh, threw a tear gas grenade at, like in the general vicinity what? of the commissioner uh and he had to like evacuate the arena and then they b- basically proceeded to spill out the game i think was not finished they spilled out in the streets of Montreal and rioted for days uh, in protest <laughs> of, of this suspension uh, because they felt like uh, Richard, who was uh, the, the most beloved player in the Canadians and also French Canadian uh, himself, was being unfairly treated by the league office, which was based in Toronto and was sort of heavily like uh, Anglophone in, in its mm. um, officials. Uh, and so they felt like, there, there was a little bit of unfair treatment happening there, and so it was, it was a, it was again a microcosm of the relations between Quebec and the rest of Canada, uh, and so there was a, a Richard riot. Is the, uh, uh, the, uh, I, I wonder which day it was on. I think it's like March. We're actually coming up on the, um, the anniversary of it, if I'm remembering really? right. Uh, it was March. Oh my God, you're never going to believe this. March seventeenth. I shit you Whoa! not. March 17th, the Ra- 1955. The Richard Riot is today? 
St. Patrick's Day is the anniversary nice. of the Richard riot. I did not plan this. I did not so good. this up ahead of time. But today is the anniversary of the Richard riot uh, from 1955. So that kind of tells you about the beef between Montreal and Boston because the incident was the one that, that led to that. And they've had a lot of stuff since then. The, they, they met in the playoffs in 2014. In fact, uh, I think several times uh, in the past you know, 10, 15 years they've met. They've like blown leads against each other. They've had game sevens. They've you know, had incidents where certain players ran other certain players' faces into uh, the partition between the benches, uh, you know, causing uh, facial damage. You know, hypothetically. Uh, so, you know, the, those are examples of original six rivalries that are still in effect with each other. Certainly, you know, Montreal and Boston aren't going to face this year because they've uh, sequestered the Canadian teams together. But Montreal and Toronto have unless, faced a lot this season. And unless yes, they can face Montreal and Boston can face in the Stanley Cup final this year, potentially Potentially, I don't think there's a great chance at it uh, based on our uh, our odds uh, right now. Boston, they've been flagging a little bit recently, and the and the Canadians are you know they're fine, but they're not like lighting the world on fire. So there's a 13 percent chance the Bruins make the finals, and a 6.5 percent chance the Canadians make the finals. So if you do the math on that, it's not a great chance that they face each other, but there's a chance that they face each other, and that would be kind of interesting because it hasn't been possible since the 80s. It was possible back as recently as the 1970s where they could play in each other in the Stanley Cup final, uh, but then they realigned the divisions and, and it hasn't been possible until this season. So uh, that's an interesting thing. But then there are other examples of original six rivalries that have kind of just died out because they don't face each other quite as much uh, over time, like Detroit versus Chicago. That's an example of one where like they don't like each other, obviously, you know, uh, Detroit and Chicago, gr- a great basketball rivalry in the 80s, for instance, like the cities have a lot of beef. You know, the Bears and the Lions don't don't care for each other uh, either. Not one bit. <laughs> uh, so but but it's been a little diluted in hockey because Detroit, they used to be in the same division. Uh, but then Detroit was moved to a whole separate conference in 2014. Really? Uh, why, yeah. Why would they do that? That seems like a bad thing for them to do. <laughs> Well, it was part of the the. Remember, we talked about how the Atlanta Thrashers became the Winnipeg Jets, but were still in the Southeast Division. A team in Winnipeg was in the Southeast, which yeah. was absurd on its face and created a lot of uh, travel problems. So they had to essentially like reshuffle all the divisions, and they also broke in a new division based playoff system uh, around mm-hmm. that time. And so they realized that Detroit, oddly enough is actually surprisingly far east on the map. Not We don't think of it as being that way, but it kind of is. Uh, and so they um, they put them in the Eastern Conference where they had been in the Western Conference before. It still weirds me out that, that the Red Wings are in the Western Conference. Uh, but that took them away from the Blackhawks, took them away from some other rivals we'll talk about later. Uh, and, and so uh, it was diluted. They now are back in the same division, but neither, you know, neither team is amazing. Chicago's like, okay, they, they might make the playoffs, but as we detailed in that episode with Jake a few weeks ago, the Red Wings yeah. are quite bad and <laughs> will almost certainly Red not Wings have had some problems. problems. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so those are examples, though. The, the original six rivalries pretty much take any of those two teams, pair them up with each other, and there's like a long history and a lot of like incidents that you could kind of point to that, that create hate between them. However, there's also local rivals like the New York Rangers and 
the New York Islanders. You know, they're, they're New York teams. This is a direct line from the Wikipedia page for that rivalry. Quote, the games are often characterized by more fights in the stands than on the ice, which I thought was pretty funny <laughs> and pretty apt if you've ever been to, to one of those games. It, it is pretty apt uh, uh, between those two fan bases. And uh, it's an interesting dynamic there where it's like they're both in the same area. They don't share an arena, but they're also sort of that's part of the point. Like the the New York Islander uh, ethos is really more sort of like Long Island and Nassau County. Uh, and the Ranger fans are sort of more, you know, Manhattan play at Madison Square Garden. They're like very into their history. The Rangers, much older franchise. They were established in 1926, the Islanders in 1972. Although oddly, both teams have won just as many Stanley Cups as each other. They've both won Oof, four Stanley ow, Cups. Out, my heart, out. And the <laughs> Islanders did that. Uh, they won four straight Cups from 1980 to 1983, which was a span of years in which the Rangers were still fighting through what would eventually be a 54-year title drought. Uh, and then they broke that in, in 1994. Uh, so it's, a, it's interesting that like the two teams... They, they haven't necessarily both been like Stanley Cup, you know, front runners at the same time. They've had their moments where they were both like, you know, pretty good. And, and the rivalry kind of gets kicked up in the, um, uh, the playoff chase some. But it's really more of a local rivalry, which is why it's sort of the quintessential one. And there's other ones like Rangers and Devils. That's local. Plus, they had the infamous battle on the Hudson. These, uh, these uh, playoff series uh, in, in 1994, they played. It went seven games. Uh, Mark Messier guaranteed victory, and then Stefan Mato 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 scored a goal uh, in overtime to uh, put the Rangers in the Stanley Cup final. So they they have like a combination of locality plus you know memorable playoff moments, which I feel like is what drives rivalries. Uh, and then you have you know Rangers and Flyers. They faced in the playoffs a few times. Uh, Rangers uh, or Flyers and Penguins. They faced in the playoffs a number of times as well. But also it's kind of you know, a local, uh, like in Pittsburgh versus Philly, it's the battle of Pennsylvania. You know, it's these mm. two teams that <laughs> both were expansion teams in 1967 and they kind of came in together. Uh, and, uh, in, in both of those cases, the Rangers and the Flyers and, and the Flyers and Penguins, they just play each other a crap ton of times, you know, and, and it yeah. sort of creates those rivalries. Uh, Edmonton versus Calgary, the Battle of Alberta, that's another local rivalry where you have two teams that are in the same province. Uh, and they're just they play each other a bunch of times and they they just hate each other. Now, they did play in the playoffs. Uh, five times uh, from 1983 to 1991, uh, and the Oilers won four out of those five. The one time they lost, though, was in 1986 when defenseman Steve Smith passed the puck into his own net off goalie Grant Fuhrer's skate in Game 7, uh, and that took the uh, the Oilers, who were like the heavy favorites, they had Gretzky and Messier and so on and so forth, out of the playoffs. Uh, the Flames were able to beat them. They have not played in the playoffs since then. They've just been division rivals, but at the same time, every time they play, whether it's like preseason, you know, regular season, whatever it is, they friggin' hate each other and the two cities hate each other Edmonton and Calgary uh there's a big time rivalry there over which one is you know the bigger better you know more advanced uh, uh metropolitan place to be uh so those are examples of you know rivalries that 
happen because you've got teams that are sort of just near each other and and they are fighting for like the same turf and sometimes they'll play in the playoffs but it's really mostly comes at its core to that proximity uh and and the fact that the fan bases have to kind of engage with each other uh often which goes back to that rangers islanders (laughs) comment about how it's like if you get on the long (laughs) island railroad at uh, uh at 34th street penn station uh, you will encounter both Islander fans who are going out back to their homes uh, uh, <laughs> and also Ranger fans who are literally in the basement of their arena. And so it, it is kind of a melting pot of, <laughs> of yeah, rivalry it's light it up. in one place. Uh, now, the the one that I think is the best typology of rivalry, though, uh-huh. is the postseason rivalry, which... Again, some of the ones that we talked about have elements of this, but there are other ones that like you wouldn't think that they would be natural rivalries based on, you know, location or based on, you know, anything like that, except that they just play each other a bunch in the playoffs. And that creates because of the tension and the heightened emotion, it creates uh, hatred between teams like Colorado and Detroit, which was once arguably the best rivalry in all of sports. There's not a natural rivalry between Denver and Detroit. You know, they're not (laughs) next to each other geographically. Again, Detroit, very far East, further, far, further East than Atlanta. Fun fact. Uh, And yet uh, they started hating each other in 1996 uh, because the Quebec Nordiques had moved to Denver, Colorado, thanks to Mr. Bettman and become the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, and they were almost called the Colorado Extreme, which would have been the most no. 90s name. Oh, I'm That's not making so that so 90s. Up. That would have been the, the most 90s would name. Would they have capitalized the X in Extreme instead of I the E in Extreme? I certainly hope so. I assume so. Uh, they ended up having sort of like a Yeti kind of vibe, you know, for mm. some of their, their logo and, and uh, you know, uh, like, visual annotations and so i think probably some of that would have existed if they were the extreme also because like you think of extreme it's colorado there's like probably snowboarding involved but then also probably like some kind of rad like yeti i mean uh, yetis are known political extremists you really don't want to get talking that shop. too yeah, yeah no uh for sure um uh and so uh the first ever avalanche game was against the detroit red wings and kind of Nobody thought of anything of it at the time. That all changed, you know, a number of months later in the Western Conference Final because a guy named Claude Lemieux, uh, he checked Chris Draper of the Red Wings, so Lemieux's on the Avalanche, from behind right in front of the Detroit bench uh, and smashed his face into the sort of corner <laughs> of the uh, of the bench that where, where the door is and all of that, which caused Chris Draper to suffer a broken jaw, a shattered cheek, a broken orbital oh, bone. Shit. He needed reconstructive surgery and his jaw was wired shut. Uh, and the Avalanche won that game. And as is the custom at the end of a uh, playoff series, the two teams shake hands. And so the Red Wings didn't really know what had happened to Draper uh, until after that. And so when this guy Dino Cicerelli, uh, which is the most Italian sounding name of any <laughs> hockey player of all time, Dino Cicerelli, uh, who's on the Red Wings, he said, I can't believe I shook this guy's friggin' hand after the game. That pisses me right off. Uh, which really, I think, <laughs> summed up the, uh, the, the attitude of the Red Wings. And Colorado went on to win the Cup that year. 
And Lemieux was suspended, I think, only like a couple games in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, And so they were pissed off. And so March 26th of the next season, it was uh, Claude Lemieux's first trip back to Detroit after the Draper incident. And there were nine brawls in this game, uh, (laughs) a number of which happened immediately in the first period, including one where Darren McCarty went after Lemieux. He saw Lemieux just was like out and about and he was like, I'm going to get my revenge. And so he, he punched uh, Lemieux and then got Lemieux on the ground and started just wailing away at him. And Lemieux turtled, <laughs> which is what they call it when you curl into a ball yeah. and kind of cover your head. He turtled. Oh. Uh, and, and McCarty just like the refs did not even step in or anything like that for a little <laughs> while and just let him like beat away at him. Uh, so there were nine fights in the game including a goalie fight, which is the rarest form of fight and really a sign that a beef has escalated to levels of sizzle that are untenable as something has to give when the two goalies That's so wild. fight each other. How does other that even happen? They skate. I mean, they like kind of signal or telegraph to each other from opposite ends of the ice. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're going to, you want to go? Let's go. And then they skate in their gear to the middle of the ice. They take off their masks uh, or one takes the other was off and then they just start going at it. And, and it's really a sight to behold, um, when that happens. And so, uh, Colorado and Detroit was defined by this. Uh, uh and in fact, there were brawls in games the following season, multiple games the following season as well. And it helped that they faced each other in the playoffs a crap ton. They played each other. Uh, one of one of the two teams ended the other one's season in the playoffs in 1996, 1997, 1999, 2000, 2002, and 2002, and 2008. It was pretty much, uh, you know, the the same core group of players on each side, which I think is another ingredient that you had a lot more during those original six rivalries was there was no free agency then and and players were, you know, not moving around between teams. So you had the same core group of, of players on each team kind of facing each other again and again and again and building up this beef. Well, there oh, was man. free agency by the 90s, but at the same time, the core groups of those teams, there was no salary cap. So you could keep together a ridiculous set of teams. And both of those teams had an insane number of future Hall of Famers on on each team uh, that would probably not be possible to assemble uh, in in 2021, given the salary cap. Uh, (laughs) So it's kind of the perfect storm of you had two teams that were, uh, you know, they were both vying for the Stanley Cup. Detroit also had a super long Stanley Cup drought uh, that they didn't end until 97. So the 96 thing, they knocked them out of the playoffs. They fucked up the face of one of their players and they extended their super long Stanley cup losing streak, uh, essentially, uh, for, for another year. So that was enough to piss Detroit. Like the guy said that pissed him right off. Uh, and so that's, that's an example of it. A more recent one is Pittsburgh and Washington. Uh, you had Crosby for Pittsburgh versus Ovechkin for Washington. So it was a player rivalry and their two teams mm-hmm. were kind of along for the ride also, but, uh, they faced each other a bunch of times in the playoffs. And uh, in 2009, 
2016, 2017, and 2018, the winner of the series between Washington and Pittsburgh went on to win the Stanley Cup. So it was a uh, almost like the the like de facto, de facto yeah. final, right? Exactly, was whoever won Pittsburgh and Washington, and the first three of those were won by by Pittsburgh, uh, and it seemed like Washington couldn't win, and then they finally got over the hump in 2018. It was kind of a big deal for them uh, to have that breakthrough. And adding on top of that, when Pittsburgh won the Cup in 91 and 92, they also went through uh, through Washington. It was a very different uh, group of players in that, but it was sort of set the background uh, also. Uh, and I think Pittsburgh and Washington in 96 had one of the longest um, games of all time. It went to like quadruple overtime or something like that. Uh, and it was like a game that lasted like 115 minutes or some, uh, something like that. So there's a lot uh, going on in that one. And so when you have that history of playing in the playoffs, uh, you, you kind of inevitably end up with a rivalry. And that's also true. One of the newer rivalries, which I don't know what its eventual fate will be. It's, it's not quite as established, but the golden Knights and the sharks have a rivalry because of the playoffs. The golden Knights are a really new team. You wouldn't necessarily think that there would even be time enough to build up beef. But the Sharks and the Knights faced off in both of Vegas's first two seasons. Vegas won the first uh, season. And in the second one, they went to a Game 7, and there was a very controversial call in Game 7 that helped San Jose come back from down 3 to nothing, I believe, in that. And they ended up winning the game and the series in overtime. And uh, it, it sort of set off this bad blood that extended over into a brawl early in the 2020 season. So it's sort of you can have a rivalry that, Maybe there's a little geography there. It's like Vegas and San Jose, you know, they're like uh, kind of close, but not that close. But it really can be stoked by being in the same division, but also being uh, just facing each other a bunch of times in the playoffs and having like weird stuff happen that's controversial that you can kind of just get mad about and then fight about. And in hockey, fighting is legal. So uh, it just sort of compounds upon itself uh, and creates (laughs) more beef going forward. It's sort of like a perpetual motion beef machine. It's a cycle uh, of violence. It's a cycle (laughs) of violence, which uh, if we learn nothing from, you know, movies like The Departed or, you know, some Mm. of these some of these movies, the Godfather trilogy, it's like, uh, you know, these cycles never really end. uh, And and it's just, you know, (laughs) someone does something to to your team and then you retaliate and kind of up the ante. And that's kind of how it is in hockey. Also, you know, you'll uh, the only way to really settle it is especially in the olden days is with these old fashioned kind of brawls and and fights mm. where you would have your goons go out and they would settle it and you know that was the thing with with Claude Lemieux uh and Darren McCarty what McCarty was a little bit more of a goon i mean he was more than a goon cuz he was a he was a pretty good player on top of it he was a, he could score um but he was a fighter also you know scrappy guy and so Lemieux sooner or later knew that because of what he did, he was going to have to face uh, the goon from from the Red Wings and get you know either either trade punches or get his comeuppance and turtle. Uh, but but the payment was coming <laughs> for for what he had done. So I guess like this this actually is a really good segue to like <clears throat> so we just kind of talked the overall you know top down look at the battle lines. I mean. Was it really just goons being sent against goons, goons being sent against other? Like, how how, how did the like how did this kind of warfare take place? I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, some of it, yeah, is is fighting uh, and, and certainly like more in the past. But I think in each of these cases, you also could find that almost dirty stuff that happens outside of fighting, outside the goons, which has always been the argument. And I've always kind of felt like it was a little dubious for keeping fighting in the game, keeping mm-hmm. uh, enforcers and all that. But the argument that people who are defending that will always make is that, well, if you take away the sort of more like legitimate means of settling disputes, which is two guy, two huge hulking guys settling it with their fists, if you take that away, then things will get settled with, you know, cheap shots and, uh, you know, sticks to the face and kind of dirty play. Uh, and if you look through the history of some of these um, these rivalries, uh, you can pinpoint in a lot of cases a moment where there was something dirty that happened, uh, you know, and somebody took a stick to the face or, you know, uh, you know, cut, uh, got uh, started bleeding uh, because they were were sucker punched uh, from behind or checked from behind or something like that. And uh, that escalated things because then you have to kind of retaliate and, and it gets out of control. Now, uh, you know, I personally think that that's just sort of, like I said, especially in the original six era, you have only six teams in the league and they're playing 70 plus games, uh, you know, a season. So like if you play enough hockey there, these are large men skating around on a icy surface with, you know, lumber in their hand, curved pieces of lumber <laughs> in their hands. Like something is going to happen, whether it's accidental, whether it's on purpose, whether tensions get high or whatever, like, dirty stuff is going to happen and then that sets things off. So I don't, I don't necessarily buy the argument that, Oh, well, if you let guys fight as much as they want, you know, uh, it gets settled less in, in dirty ways. It's like, eh, it probably gets settled both ways. Right. <laughs> right at that point, <laughs> instead of now it's sort of, you know, um, the referees, I think it's more of the onus on them to try to kind of keep things from escalating and, and getting too dirty, but also, you know, in the playoffs, and I think one of the reasons why the playoffs are so prominent in some of these rivalries, too, is the referees don't really want to call penalties as much in the playoffs. And the deeper into a series or the deeper into a tie game or something you get, uh, there's actually research on this that referees are less likely to call penalties. They, they don't want to insert themselves into the outcome uh, wh- by, like, actively doing something. So yeah. in a way, they're inserting themselves into the outcome uh, sort of tacitly by the absence of calling fair p- rules of play, uh, but they would rather sort of, uh, c- you know, commit acts of omission than than commit acts of commission uh, by calling penalties. And so I think that that creates an atmosphere that's also ripe for, you know, people to take things into their own hands or dirty things to happen and c- kind of go unpenalized. And then that's where you get into the mentality of, well, somebody's got to make them pay for what they just did. And then you have beef. <laughs> Beef. Yeah. I've really enjoyed this because it's like <clears throat> it, 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 the three types that you've kind of outlined of just like, you know, history, like they have a lot, they've just like, there's been so much play that eventually, like if you simulate anything like a th- a th- 500 times, you're going to have a couple incidents. Right. And so that's just almost like random, like something I mean, inevitably what's going to happen. That happens in our ELO simulations, you know, in ju- a few of the 2,500 simulations, there's a lot of bad blood between the, the teams. <laughs> they played 2,500 seasons against each other. 
Absolutely. And then in the other one, you have these situations where like, you know, it is proximity. I know, like you mentioned, like the Northeast obviously has a lot of proximity. Are there any other Canadian rivalries or like, doesn't like Florida have a lot of teams? Like, are there any teams that like, just by being proximate to each other have solid beef? You know, I don't think the, the Florida ones have as much, some of the California ones, like the Kings and the Sharks, that's kind of a rivalry that you'll have the Ducks and the Kings, uh, just because they're like LA local, you know, I don't know what we're going to call Anaheim, Orange County versus, you know, LA proper. (laughs) Um, but it is sort of a, a rivalry, um, that, that is, uh, proximity based but it's also their southern you know uh california non-traditional uh markets or whatever you know the florida teams i just don't think that they've faced enough in the playoffs and one of the things we're saying about the florida panthers is they haven't made it past the first round Mm. in 25 years so it it does also (laughs) kind of compound like deeper into the playoffs you get the more opportunity you get for a beef so if a team faces each other if two teams face in the first round a bunch of times, yeah, you can get some beef. But if they face in the conference finals every year, you know, that's when you really get it, uh, or much less the the Stanley Cup final. But, you know, it takes a lot to get teams facing each other a bunch of times in a row in the Stanley Cup final. It just doesn't happen that much. It did happen with the Islanders and the Oilers for a number of those Islander championships, and that was what was credited with sort of building up the Oilers to become a tougher team uh, and not just a finesse, you know, fast skating uh, you know, high scoring team, uh, with Gretzky, but they had to add some muscle and kind of get tougher to be able to beat the Islanders. That's a very specific rivalry that doesn't exist outside of that, um, particular time frame because they don't really play each other in the course of natural play, you know, the Oilers and, and, um, uh, the, um, the Islanders. So it is sort of dependent on like time. It's, it's like, uh, times that you faced times proximity, times the particulars of the rivalry itself that kind of generated and so i think for some of the other teams uh in non-traditional markets they haven't faced each other enough times to really create it like i was hoping you know when i was a kid in atlanta like the thrashers would have a rivalry with like the predators or the lightning or something like that and they you know they wanted to but the thrashers were never good so you can't really have a rivalry if one of the teams in it is always bad. I think that's another part uh, of it, uh, an ingredient to it uh, that, you know, uh, especially as the league expands, you do have some teams that maybe, you know, aren't as competitive year in and year out. Whereas in the original six, you know, with only six teams, the fourth best team in the league makes the playoffs. You don't have to actually be <laughs> that good to make the playoffs. And then you can kind of, you know, build the success from there and the, and the beef from there. Yeah, that makes Because again, like it seems like the Jets and the Giants, like they don't play each other often enough. And oftentimes one is quite bad and the other is quite good. And so there's like absolutely no rivalry between these two organizations. And it seems like that's like a good like that happens in a lot of different places where like it just never came together. But yeah, I gotta say they, that one might be a little more of like a theoretical, like the fans have rivalry where they taunt each other with like the team's results, but it's not necessarily based on head to head, which is an interesting alternative form of rivalry that I do think maybe the Rangers and Islanders have a little bit of, I mean, they play each other, which is a little bit different. You know, they play each other more than the Jets and Giants do. Uh, but at yeah. the same time, it's sort of like, the demographics of the fan bases hate each other. And that's also kind of the same for the jets and giants. Uh, they, they share a, a space and they don't like 
each other uh, as fans. And, and so that kind of drives, <laughs> drives the rivalry as much as anything. New York, great town. That's uh, I gotta say, the Denver-Detroit one is is so good. That like that just sounds like that's exactly what you want to see because those are two towns that have no business despising each other, and yet like <laughs> the incident occurred. And, like, and and that's great. I mean, I think that that is almost like the best kind, you know, because there are other ones like the Chicago-Detroit one or like Chicago-St. Louis. They have a rivalry um, that I think was. Uh, you know, it still burns, but it, it, it it's kind of more sort of like, oh, us as cities, we don't like each other. And our sports teams across all of our teams don't like each other. But it's not like the, the both Colorado have bad pizza. Rockies. Whose bad pizza is better than yeah, the other guy's pizza, bad pizza? Uh, uh, is worse. Uh, but it's sort of like the Colorado Rockies and the Detroit Tigers don't really have a rivalry. The Broncos and Lions don't have a rivalry. So we have <laughs> those ones where it's like just that one specific sport where it's the combination, that means that something, like you said, the incident happened. <laughs> something, <laughs> some motivating incident happened. And I think that that's like, in a lot of ways, better than the ones that are just sort of like, anybody can have a rivalry with the city that's like, you know, right next to each other. It's like Springfield versus Shelbyville. You know, it's yeah. like, they're naturally going to have a rivalry with each other. But is it really based on, you know, uh, things that happen that are true to like specific to the teams themselves, or is it just, you know, we don't like them because we're not supposed to like them because they're across the river from us or whatever. Yeah. I, so I guess my question for you now is like, you, you alluded to like Vegas, uh, San Jose, but like, what is the state of rivalries? Because you mentioned earlier, like one reason that the original six were so inured to rivaling each other was like, they were functionally fraternities. Like once you were in an organization, you were not traded or left or, or, and then, and then eventually with the salary cap before that, there were you like the core of a group remain the core of a group. I guess like our our rivalries now just uh, opportunities to sell more tickets, or are they actually like are there new ones cropping up, uh, or are they in danger? They might be a little bit in danger, especially because the NHL has done so much realignment that I think um, having teams be in. The same division is is a driving force behind rivalry. So when you're constantly sliding teams in and out of divisions all the time, uh, like the NHL has done, sometimes out of just they wanted to, and sometimes out of uh, like necessity, like this year with with COVID, uh, that you know that probably dilutes rivalry some. It can create rivalries, and especially I think they specifically change the playoffs around that time where they took the Red Wings out of the West to uh, from a conference-based system to a division-based system, uh, at least early in the playoffs, uh, specifically to try to create that mentality uh, where it's like, okay, you know these teams, you've played them a lot during the season, and then you know you're going to have to play them in the, in the playoffs. I think that helps with rivalries. That's going to be the case this year also oh, yeah. for, the, for the first few rounds of the playoffs. Uh, so it, I'm interested to see whether, like, what kind of rivalries emerge and are kind of uh, thrive or are reinvigorated uh, in in this year's system in particular. Because I think the North Division, with all the Canadian teams together, uh, you know, some of them were already in the same division, but some of them weren't uh, and uh, are playing teams that they hadn't played a bunch of times uh, or were not used to in the past. I think that that, you know, uh, th- that taps into the natural Canadian 
uh, antipathy between <laughs> teams and provinces and like, you know, certain areas and all of that uh, in the area where hockey is taken by far the most seriously. Like, yes. yes, Florida and Tampa are in the same division this year. I'm pretty sure that is not going to get as heated of a rivalry as, <laughs> you know, uh, Toronto versus Montreal or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, I think that there's like, how much do they care about it? And this, uh, this particular North division this year has like concentrated all of the places that care the most by far about hockey in the same division. And they will play in the first two rounds of the playoffs also. That's got to count for something, I think. So if there's going to be another riot in Montreal, this is the year. Yes. Well, I mean, I hope not. <laughs> I uh, hope not as well. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they should keep social distancing, at least at first. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, maybe by the playoffs, we, we can do our we can do maskless rioting. Uh, you know, the tear oh, gas will be wearing uh, gas masks, of course, yes, of for course. the for the tear gas that is uh, hurled at NHL Commissioner Clarence Campbell who of course has been dead for, for decades and decades. Uh, but anyway, yes. So I think, yeah, if, if it happens in Montreal and then you do get into, like you talked about the, the potential, even if it is remote for like a weird Stanley cup final, a weird Stanley cup, uh, semifinal also, which I think, um, like we're used to seeing conference based sort of conference finals where it's like, okay, the, you know, the Knights are going to play the Jets and it's the conference finals uh, or whatever. But really this year's conference finals are, they could be really weird and scrambled because they're totally dependent on uh, which teams make the final four and what their records were during the season. And then it gets reseeded so that number one plays number four and number two plays number three. So you could get like, incredibly bizarre and none of them are going to be from the same division by by definition only one team from each division can advance to that point so you could get some weird scrambled like teams that you think should be facing in the stanley cup final traditionally based on conference but they're actually facing in the semifinal and then you have like teams that maybe were like in the same division somewhat recently but now they're not because of you know re uh realignment uh, they could face in the Stanley Cup final, like Boston and Montreal. And then it's like, wait, I'm sorry, how are these teams playing in the final? Uh, so that's kind <laughs> of an interesting twist that I think the jury will be out based on what it produces, but it could produce like cool matchups. And, and cool matchups, maybe they could produce rivalries, but probably not because uh, the downside to that is they probably won't face in that exact same context ever again. And so you can't really build on it in multiple seasons the same way. I mean, that's the thing. The thing that I've continually picked up about the sport is that the sport is extremely goddamn weird and that uh, weird things happen all the time. And so, you know, infinite monkeys, infinite typewriters, infinite checks against the wall, infinite broken faces. You never know. I will remark. That's what I love about it. We have to wrap up soon, but I will remark that over the course of the past 57 minutes and 49 seconds, the score has gone up to New York Rangers 7, Philadelphia 0. So oh we should keep talking God. for another hour. It uh, is seven is nothing. It this is, seven is nothing. an absolute I haven't seen this score. Race. I have never seen this score. I have especially never seen this score with my team. With like I don't think I've seen this winning. score since a friggin' football season, man. Like I yeah, it's this is great. a football score. You know the uh, yeah the Giants are up <laughs> a touchdown on the Eagles right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is that is really something. Um, and what's interesting for this one is I, I'm sure you saw this, but the um, the Rangers' entire coaching staff got COVID, 
And so they're not on the bench for the game. And instead, the minor league team's coaching staff, uh, the Hartford uh, Sky Dog, uh, I forget what they're, uh, something dogs, uh, are, are, uh, their coaching staff is coaching the Rangers. And also the assistant GM, Chris Drury, is uh, of the Rangers, is behind the bench coaching in this game. Uh, so it, it's kind of uh, a weird setup. I but know. I think they should bring them back for every game based on this. I think it's working. I think it's working. I don't know. Whatever like, they're doing. Keep doing it. I'm not it. like married to this staff. I'm brand new to this organization. Like, yeah, if right. this is like, you know, results. All right. Uh, right. Neil, exactly. where can folks find you? <laughs> uh, they, you know, they can find me. By the way, it's the Hartford Wolfpack. I, I should not have called them the Sky Dogs or whatever I called them. Uh, <laughs> it's a much anyway. better name. <laughs> Sky Dogs is amazing. Yes, we should uh, see if that's taken. And then if not, maybe start our own, you know, uh, start our own junior hockey team. Yeah, the Astoria Sky Dogs. Astoria (laughs) Sky Dogs. Who says no? Um, That sounds like a restaurant that I want to go to now. (laughs) But go on. <laughs> yeah, so they can find me uh, at 538, uh, where I write uh, a lot of stories. Uh, and also they can find me at Twitter, at Neil underscore Payne. And of course, the apple of my eye is my GitHub, at uh, yes. Neil Payne 538. And I want to give a special shout out to, I don't know, I don't, I wonder whether he's a listener or not. Maybe he can uh, at me if he is or not. Uh, but uh, a guy named Parker Quinn, uh p quinn 1991 he made a shiny app that visualizes uh the elo and the forecast data uh that i would encourage everybody to check out i put a link to it on uh the hockey uh github repo uh but yeah it, it takes the the raw data and turns it into a fancy uh, dare I say 538 eyes looking um, uh, dashboard where you can track and see and uh, uh, just, you know, curious uh, viewers tomorrow can look at how badly the Flyers playoff odds have tanked after just this thumping. seven nothing and counting thrashing uh by the by the rangers um but uh you'll probably see quite a dip to the flyers who are already only at 47 percent to make the playoffs it really is kind of slipping away uh for philly right now uh so you know that that'll make you happy walt yes <laughs> and where absolutely. can people find you in your glee over the rangers touchdown my, lead? my absolute delight can be found on twitter at walt uh i'm at insider uh i have a newsletter called numlock I have an awards newsletter. You just go to awards.news. Yeah, I got that URL, baby. Um, but yeah, no, I'm just around. It's an award-winning awards newsletter. It's definitely, I mean, there. Are, I don't know what the Oscars of awards newsletters are, but there are not that many. And so, you know, it's one of those situations. Where, like, there was a guy, so there, here's like some fun awards news. Like, there, Broadway notoriously shut down in the middle of the season. Um, uh, yes, and <laughs> as a result, they're still giving Tony awards for that season. However, only like a couple plays qualify for Tony's. And so right now, and and I believe it's the best acting category in a musical. There is a person who is the only nominee because they were the only eligible nominee. And asterisk. so that that deserves an asterisk. Neil, it doesn't because here's the thing. He still has to get 50 percent of the vote. In order to win, it's it's a whole thing. It's it's wild. Oh, so they might Wars, if he doesn't hit that threshold, yeah. it just might go like unawarded for the precisely. Year. So yeah. he could exactly. So like it's not like an uncontested election. He's like running against no pick, and it's a, it's it's fascinating as a person who enjoys award shows and the um and and the majesty and failure within. It's just it's constantly wild to watch this stuff. But 
I'm much more enjoying New York Rangers 7, Philadelphia Flyers 0. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.